Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. We are going to preach part 2 of our mini-series that we're calling Soli Deo Gloria. And I want to take us on a little bit of a tour through Scripture this morning. We're going to end up focusing in a passage in Mark, Gospel of Mark. But I want to walk through this morning a little bit of biblical overview. One of the foundational understandings that we must have is that when you and I were born, we arrived to an epic already in progress. The almighty creator of all things has chosen to invite you and me into his eternal epic. We are desperate for this understanding. Because every day that we try to make life about us, we are trying to direct something that is immovable, making life very frustrating and very hard. Years ago, I read a quote, Life is a tale of two stories, one finite and frail, the other eternal and enduring. The tiny one, the story of us, is as brief as the blink of an eye. Yet somehow, our infatuation with our own little story and our determination to make it as big as we possibly can blinds us to the massive God story that surrounds us on every side. Last week, I told you about my friend in high school who left our hometown in Irvine, Orange County, California, headed up to North L.A., Burbank area, And he realized he was lost when he saw a sign for Gorman. It's about 4,100 feet up the mountain that we like to call the Grapevine. How does one trying to get to a major city in L.A. find themselves surrounded by towering mountains and not even know it? I believe the same way that you and I can live our lives completely oblivious to the grand story of the creator of the universe that is unfolding all around us. The same way we spend our days making so much of someone so small and transient as you and me, and so little of someone so glorious and eternal as our good God. We must understand that God is the central character of the story. He commands the center stage in all of existence, creation, time, history, redemption, and eternity. Today I want to preach part two of this mini-series, and I've titled today's sermon, Living for the Name. My simple question for each of us today is, whose name are you living for? Are you guilty of living for your own name and fame? Or are you living for the name and fame of the Lord God Almighty? I think we can be guilty of living for our own name, even when in our doing and in what we don't do. Sometimes there's things we don't do that are for the glory and fame of the Lord, somehow thinking it's it's actually for Him. But in the end, it's still about us. We still allow it to be about us. Let's consider our name first, making a name for ourselves. 
It is our sinful preoccupation to make a name for ourselves that puts us at odds with God and what He rightly deserves and was rightly due from His creation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, we read how Satan introduced the lie that many of us are still caught up in today. He essentially hissed Adam and Eve, you cannot trust the heart of God. He's holding out on you. You have to take matters in your own hands. Take control of your life. Eat what he has said is forbidden and you will be like him. You will reign too. Essentially what Satan told Adam and Eve is rewrite the story and make it about you. Give yourself a bigger part than you've been given. Arrange for your own happiness by your own definition and disregard God or anyone else that gets in your way. Now, we don't wake up in the morning and think these things. But if we are honest, we have been hardwired by our culture and our flesh at work to live too many of our days this way. In our sin, instead of enjoying God, fighting for His name, feeling the privilege of living for the glory of God alone, Mankind began to pursue the production of another story. Whereby we would be the star. Whereby we would receive the accolades and the fame. You turn to Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. And we see a historic effort in this vein. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. If the glory and story of God is the greatest epic of all time, church, then our lame pursuit to make life about us is far from a great epic, but is much more like the making of an after-school special. Think about it with me. Those of you who grew up in the last century, you, you youngins won't really get what I'm about to talk about. Think about your younger days coming home from school and watching after-school specials. Can you name one after-school special that you've ever seen in your life? Can you name any of the actors that starred in after-school specials? No. Why? Why not? Because after-school specials are lame. (laughs) We only watched them as kids because there was nothing else on. Our investment into trying to make our lives, our stories, our name big is the equivalent of a forgettable bad-acted, random, and many times super lame after-school special. Think about the reality of your sin in comparison to the glory of God. 
our quest to make our story more important than God is as futile as trying to extinguish the sun with an eyedropper. Man's quest to make our lives about ourselves and not about God and His infinite glory is the exhausting, never-ending, futile task of trying to have something that just is not ours. Despite mankind's futile efforts to make a name for ourselves, God makes it clearly known in Scripture that He will be known and praised We see God work in his fallen creation in amazing ways to lift high his name and fame in all the earth. One of the big places we see this as we continue our our fast journey through the scriptures is in God raising up the wicked ruler Pharaoh. Who in that day was the dominant ruler and kingdom of all the earth. He puts Israel, his chosen people, under Pharaoh's hand. Why? So that God could put on display his power throughout all the earth. Exodus chapter 9, 14 through 16. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people, pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We need to see Delivering Israel from Pharaoh's grip was not just for them, but for the purpose of God's name and power being proclaimed and displayed in all the earth. The testament of what God did in delivering his people from the hand of Pharaoh is one of the most referenced and talked about events in all of Scripture. From generation to generation to generation, we find generations later, it's still being the prominent reference in all of history. And as we continue to study God's word again and again, generation after generation, people group after people group, they reference back to the power of God on display at the Exodus. It absolutely did what he intended it to do. After God had Moses lead Israel out of the hand of slavery into the wilderness, God gives the people his law. And what's one of the major purposes of the law of God? Uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, 5 through 6. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In the sight of all the peoples is another way to reference all the nations. When God's people obey His statutes and commands, they point to the righteousness of God. 
When Israel obeys God, it's not just for their good, but the global display of who God is and what He requires. When Israel is disobedient, their punishment is not just for them, but it's also for the watching world to see the seriousness of sin and man's utter need for a Savior. The law sets the table for the display of the holiness of God and our utter need for Jesus Christ. We know that Moses dies and Joshua goes on to lead God's chosen people in the promised land. Another historic event by God's power is put on display as he parts the Jordan River. Another event that's talked about for many generations to come. He then gives the Israelites great victory over the enemies and they lay hold of the promised land just as God promised they would. And as we turn to the book of Judges, the people take a good thing and they wreck it again. They turn to idols of the nations and worship them instead of of God. And the sin cycle starts all over. It gets worse when the people of God decide that they don't want God the way He has set Himself up to be. They want a human king. They don't want God to be their king anymore. They're right in their own eyes and demand a human king to rule them. So Samuel warns them that this will be bad for them, but they do not listen. And so God gives them their first king, King Saul. And Saul starts out well and then finishes terribly. So God then appoints King David. On David's way to the throne, he fights in one of the most famous battles in history. A little shepherd boy who knows no war, fights the elite, trained, killing machine of the day. A nine-foot giant. You know the story. David and Goliath. You know it because you've heard it butchered about a hundred times. Why did God empower David to slaughter Goliath? Well, All too often, mankind has taken what God has done here and shrunk it down to a motivational pep talk given by coaches and naive Sunday school teachers to speak of the great underdog and how we can overcome the Goliaths in our lives if we'll just be like David. Many wrongly espouse the lesson in this light. We're so good at making it about us, are we not? But it's not about us. 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 46, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth. This is known as holy trash talk. Why will this happen? So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's why. The name 
and fame of God on display. His eternal glory being put on display in all the earth is the purpose of David's victory over Goliath. Next, David takes the throne and he has many sons. One of them is Solomon. and Solomon's the next in line to reign as king. God gives him wisdom beyond anyone else. Four chapters later, Solomon builds the temple for the Lord. And then in his dedication, Solomon says this in his prayer to God. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 32 and 33. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls you to, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel and they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Israel prophets from the temple. It's a huge blessing to them, but it has a much bigger purpose to fulfill. That the name of the Lord will be known and praised by all the people groups of the world. I could go on and on. Testimony after testimony throughout the scriptures. Let me skip to the Psalms. Some of you have been around for a while have heard me point this out, so don't ruin it for the guy sitting next to you. One of the most known and quoted psalms, one of the ones you probably know by memory, Psalm 4610. If you don't quite know, then finish it with me. Be still and know that I am God. We love this psalm, and we should. We need this psalm in our lives, in the midst of our stress and our worry, in our times of making it about us. It comforts us, and it should. But it's not for us. It's not about us. The very principle of the verse is to be reminded of who God is and how He is at work in all things according to His perfect will. Be still. In the midst of whatever you're going through, however the, the trouble is just raging on you, be still and know that I am God. But do you know that that's only half of Psalm 46.10? What? You mean that's not the whole verse? Here's the other half of the verse that we often and completely omit. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. For I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Why do we so often admit the second part of the verse? Because we love to make the first part about us. Because so often we're thinking only about us. Because our, our being still and knowing that He is God helps and calms us. But it can't end with us. We need it to not sinfully make it only or ever about us. Because it's always about Him and His glory alone. One of the reasons why we only remember the first part of the verse, be still and know that I am God, 
is because it fits really nice on the side of a coffee mug. The rest of the verse, not so much. Right? And in our effort to make it about us, we sell a lot of coffee mugs and t-shirts for the money they, they make us. You go into a local Christian bookstore and you'll find a bunch of Christian stuff with Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God on it. What you'll also find is rows of books of how to have a better life now, a better marriage, a better family, a better career, more money, more of God's peace, love, joy. You sadly won't find as much of books that highlight and focus on the fact that the heart of God and the objective of God is that His name is proclaimed and known among the nations. Why? Why not? Because these books don't sell as well as the others do. Why? Because we love to make it about us. Because we're so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on making on the making of our own after school special that we've missed the utter joy and privilege of living our lives for the eternal glory and fame of God alone. We're all too often guilty of making church and our faith about us. Just think of how quickly you turn on God or maybe the church when you aren't served the way you want to be. When you get hurt or offended. When it doesn't go your way. But it's not about us. Over 1,500 times, this purpose of God to be known and praised among the nations is made clear in Holy Scripture. We must begin to see that we exist. And all of this is for His glory alone and not ours. For His eternal kingdom and not our temporary kingdom, retirement, notoriety, family, career success. But our tour is not done yet. As we move past the Psalms, we move into the prophetic books. A picture of the promised Messiah is given His ministry, what His life would be about. In Isaiah 49 verse 6, Isaiah is testifying of a conversation between God the Father and God the Son about his God the Son's coming to earth in the incarnation. The Father says to the Son in, Psalm, in Isaiah 49, 6, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Not just here, but in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So God blesses his people. He endures his people. He preserves the line to Christ, to the Messiah. So that the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come and save God's people and send out God's people to complete His purpose. That His name will be praised and known among 
all the peoples of the earth. This is the work that we are called, the church, to do. But there's a problem. And it's something that we people do again and again in our flesh. And he says it next. The end of verse 11. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verse 12. But you profane it. To profane something is take what is sacred and holy and make it common and make it not mean what it should to make it flippant. We take what is sacred and we make it mean nothing. Why? Because we're busy making a name for ourselves. We're busy building our kingdom. Fulfilling our dreams and our agendas. As we turn to the New Testament, we see Jesus put on flesh, humbly go to the cross, and die in the place of the elect and secure God's chosen people's victory by the shedding of His perfect blood. Jesus is then raised from the dead and then interacts with His disciples and followers and gives them what are known as the commissioning statements. A few of these are found in Luke 24, 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. John 20, 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the call on us today and every day that God gives us under the sun, church, to testify of the life-changing gospel, to make much of God's name and glory. And I, can I tell you who might just be joining us, who might just be repenting of sin and believing and being born again, it's not too late to join this effort. For God has given us today. He might not give us tomorrow, but He's given us today. Church, we have to understand that the after school special is about temporary fake glory it's like a diet pill that makes you feel full when you're not the epic of God and the glory of God is a lasting satisfaction and enjoyment it's the real thing but do you realize that God knows you better than you know yourself he knows just how frail and simple you really are He knows that you're just one person and a tiny one at that. He knows all the things you're not. But He made you that way and He uses you that way on purpose. Because He also understands how potent He is. He desires to do God-sized things through you. And if we will abandon the path of making more of ourselves and embrace the privilege of our days being about Him, 
think that we will be a part of the God-sized, everlasting applause that He will receive from His redeemed creation that will echo through the halls of eternity. We can be part of that celebration. We can point others to it. Or we can keep trying to produce a lame after school special. And do you know how your after school special ends if you don't repent of it? With the mocking applause of a lost world. What is a mocking applause? Clap, clap. It's that thing that audiences do to uh, demonstrate, yeah, that was pretty miserable. Um, I'd like my money back. Thank you. What is really the sum of what we're trying to build up when it's about us? What really happens when the curtain closes on our life? If it's only really about me. How quickly will history forget? If our lives remain about us alone, we'll disappear into the pages of time. That's just been another life. Unless, by God's grace, you're given eyes to see that we have to stop trying to pull that spotlight onto us and joyfully become part of the testimony that makes it about Him. Where He's in the spotlight. And it's our utter privilege for us to be part of pointing that spotlight to Him. For His glory. See, the danger is you might be succeeding in your production of your after-school special. You might have a good amount of money in the bank and, and, and a career that's moving and a marriage that's great and some kids that are doing well. Your grades, kids, might be, might be thriving and hanging your hat on these temporary wins. Some of you sit here today feeling content, satisfied in the belly with your, with your progress. But history shows it falls way short. Never bringing true fulfillment. Because the fulfillment we were designed to experience comes in God alone. Not in self-made things. This is why the story of the rich young ruler and Jesus' interaction is so potent to us. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I think this testimony is potent because I think we easily relate to it. Because we also have many important things and relationships that we've worked hard for, invested a lot into. Accomplishments that we feel make us important. So we hold on to the temporary, the self-gratification, like it's everything, but it will never hold a candle to the eternal enjoyment of living life in the name of the King and enjoying Him above all else. Look with me, Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. 
As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was unwilling to say, My life will be lived out for God's glory and fame. In the end, he only wanted salvation for his benefit. And not so he could know and enjoy the one true God. He he had a sweet after school special going. And big plans for his clap clap finish. Oh how I pray we see this gross error. I want you to see today that the rich young ruler was caught up in a mode of self-salvation. This is seen in Jesus' response to him. Do you know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus directs him to to the Ten Commandments. The man is excited because in this area he feels like he's nailed it. But Jesus being the all-knowing God, knows that this man feels he's earned his inheritance for eternal life because he's kept the laws and is simply asking the teacher, hey, did I get a passing grade on my test? And what we have to see is this is religion 101. The idea that I obey, therefore I'm accepted. In other words, I do things because I do these things right. God will accept me. God will forgive me. God will be nice to me. God will bless me. In our sin, man has pridefully, self-righteously tried to live our lives with the goal of achieving a certain identity or self-significance or level of security or purpose or joy. But when we try to achieve these things on our own, it's just self-salvation. Life becomes about our achievements. We think, look, I'm doing well, or or, no, I'm struggling, I need to do more, I need to earn more to prove myself. And our sin tells us that we must achieve on some level to find a sense of identity or significance or purpose or joy. So with job or friends or love or family being proud of you, family, house, car, bank account, recognition, it becomes, can I achieve to the point of self-salvation? Hear this, as long as you live in achieve mode, 
You will live as a slave and you will never know true salvation because you cannot earn your way into God's holy glory. But there is good news. Instead of slaving away to achieve, you can receive. Receive what? Receive the gospel, the work of Jesus. Life, death, and resurrection, which brings true salvation. You can turn Godward and receive the life of Christ. Jesus did what you couldn't, what you wouldn't do. He stood in your place to achieve all that is needed to be restored to the living and holy God. It is He who needs to be your identity, your personal significance, your sense of security, your purpose for living, and that you find your happiness and your joy in Christ. He took upon Himself our deserved wrath, died in our place so that we no longer have to achieve, but instead we receive His life, His death in our place. Let me be real clear. To receive Jesus is not to come to church long enough or obey the laws of God good enough to get your life straight, to rectify the wrongs of your past. That would just be more achieving by which you would claim some part of the glory. That's just religion. The gospel is altogether different because Christ achieved what we could not. He makes us forever part of the church, His family, by taking on our deserved wrath because of our sin. He he gives us His righteousness. He then empowers us to live and honor and obey Him. Oh, how I pray that for you who have only really known religion, You who've looked at the church from the outside at a distance or at God from a distance, that you would come to know what it is to truly belong to Jesus. To die to yourself and trust your life to Him. He would be Lord and Savior of your life. Too many of you don't know what you're missing. And I'm talking to some of you who've been in this church a long time still. The scriptures are filled with people who have been faithful for many years and are still caught up in modes of religion and achieving instead of truly, wholly submitting all of their lives to Jesus. Oh, I pray you would see through the veil. I remember my oldest son Noah's first trip to Disneyland. I remember as we approached the theme park, got off the freeway and approached the theme park, he began to see the banners and the signs and, and the trinkets. And he thought, we're here. This is it. We're still on the streets of Anaheim. We're not in the theme park yet, but he thought we arrived. Could have saved a lot of money and turned around and gone home. He would have been stoked. <laughs> Many of you are like Noah. In that moment... You don't know what you're missing. You think by being on the streets around Disneyland, you're experiencing the theme park itself. You've known religion. You've been a part of the church. 
You've yet to truly and fully surrender your life to Jesus and be born again. All of it is for naught compared to Him. To know and be saved by God. If this is you, you will repent and believe in Jesus for true and lasting salvation. It means dying to yourself. It means confessing your sin when you see it, turning from it, repenting, trusting your life to Jesus, His dreams, His plans for you, no longer your own. It all belongs to Him. It means the power of God to reign in and through you. It means a new purpose for your days. You don't just wake up and clock into work and work the job like the dead world does. You work the job in prayer and soaked in a, in a mindset that says the gospel is in my heart and should be on my lips. The way I conduct myself needs to point to the holy God. The humility that I have in my brokenness and sin and my need for a Savior needs to be on display. And what people don't see is self-righteousness. My willingness to let my plans be completely turned upside down for the good of those that God would put in my path. For the continuance of the gospel. For the giving up of our modern lifestyles to go to the unreached peoples of the earth with this gospel. For we do not live here to build our own kingdom, but His how are you caught up in this American dream if we just got to make this next move and just make it just a little bit better for us? For me. Please understand the transition from living for your own agenda to his namesake is not casual or easy. It is surgery, it is painful, it is hard. I've cried with many mature men as they set down the idols of their lives to pursue the glory of God alone. It's a daily battle. It's a lifelong struggle. Why? Because our fleshly nature is real and because we live in a culture that's constantly peddling ideas of the now kingdom and not his eternal kingdom. And we get caught up in that. We get caught up in the American agenda. We get caught up in, in, in modern politics. We get caught up in, in, in the way the bank account's running, the way the retirement plan should look. A culture that's constantly peddling man-centered fame and glory. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? 1 John 4 4. When Noah was really young back in that day when we took him, he loved Mickey Mouse. He loved it to the point where he probably forgets this. He was so about Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, everything. Stuffed animal, cartoon picture. His voice, Mickey's voice would trigger all kinds of enjoyment for our young son. But Jennifer and I took him to Disneyland that first time. We couldn't help but wonder, what will he do when he sees life-size Mickey? When he comes face-to-face -to -face with the, the real Mickey, or at least the guy wearing the costume that day. 
When he came face to face with the real Mickey, he was overwhelmed. He was unsure. He was taken back. He was scared. He was uncomfortable. But then he finally embraced him. In a similar but oh so much greater way, these metaphors are lame. (laughs) Many of you are too satisfied with souvenir Christianity. Instead of really living for and with the living God. So I ask you today, will your life be lived for the clap, clap? Or will your life be surrendered to Jesus in such a way where you count it all as lost to be about something that will outlast you for eternity? Will you point to the one who is above all and beyond all? The one whose epic fame and name will outlast every other who has ever lived and tried to make it about them. We can be part of that. My hope is you begin to gain a fresh awareness to the mountain-sized God story that you and I are traveling on every day and maybe not even know it. No more clap, clap finishes, but instead the enduring applause of his name and his fame. May our everyday lives be lived like Christ, for Christ, by the power of Christ, for the glory of Christ, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. But it begins with an understanding of the difference. It begins with a true and utter surrender of all the little things that are about us and our way and starting to yield them to Him in His way. Church, no more. No more. I give you all this but I'm going to hold on to this thing back here. I'm going to do this one my way. No more. May it all be for him. Every, every part of it. When we truly surrender, the Holy Spirit will begin to shape in us in the everyday decisions and priorities and treasures to help us live for and enjoy God above all else. Oh, how dependent we are on God to work in and through us, church. This is why we study His Word, why we pray, why we grow in community together as the church. What a joy it is to be on this journey with you. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time and this space that you provided to worship you, to to see your purpose as you've revealed it to us in your holy word. To treasure you more, to to put down our deadly doing, to, to really truly get to see how we still are guilty of making so much of it about us. That the production of silly after school specials would be put in the trash. 
that, that there be a transformation in us, a, 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 a surrender and a submission that the world would look at and go, have you lost your mind? Oh, what a joy it is to build your kingdom, your eternal kingdom. What a joy it is to point to your name and fame. I thank you for the grace that sets us free, for the work of the Holy Spirit to empower us, for the intercession of Jesus, that we could live for your glory each day you give us. We live for the name of Jesus. Today and each day you entrust to us under the sun. In Jesus' name we pray.